my entire creative life is this question. What can I do to take the pressure off? I think once you have a podcast, you get to love everyone. This is your strange and beautiful life. It doesn't have to be perfect, okay? This is your strange and beautiful life. Hi, everybody, and welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt, and on my podcast, I talk to people who may or may not have transformed their lives into spectacular TED Talks. And so this is the first episode I decided to launch the podcast with a solo episode. So usually it's going to be interviews with people who maybe you might have heard of them, you might not have heard of them. The idea is that a lot of people haven't been invited to talk about themselves in Oprah's backyard yet or maybe ever and it's not because Oprah wouldn't love them it's not because you won't love them it's just because there's lots of people in the world and almost all of them have a riveting and fascinating story but you we don't get to hear about it all the time so these are the people I'm inviting onto my podcast I mean if people are celebrities if they're a little bit famous they can come too that's fine I don't discriminate but The idea right now is I'm just talking to people that I encounter who I'm like, you know, you're very interesting to talk to. And let's sit down. Let's hook up these microphones. Wow, I'm having lots of moments with microphones these days. But let's let's talk. Let's let's share. What what what's your story? What is your strange and beautiful life? So yeah, I've done a few interviews. The first one was with my beloved grandmother, Mary Owen. And then I've interviewed a couple of fringe performers, Paul de Touré, uh, Francesca Esguera. So their episodes will be coming out imminently. And I'm hoping to feature more Montreal artists, uh, people from different communities you might not be familiar with. I, I can't wait. This is really a dream come true. But here I am now, Erica J. Schmidt, on my own. It's fairly awkward to do a solo episode. I mean, I guess people do them all the time. Uh, I have already tried to record my solo episode uh, yesterday in my kitchen. And how did that go? Well, I, I was aiming for about an hour of audio. It took me three hours. And... It just became wildly personal, wildly fast. And I I listened to it and I was like, honey, you are just riveting. And everybody wants to hear about your mental health journey and all 13 of your, your therapists. But maybe it would be good to sort of like unroll that gradually, especially for people who've never met you. And um, so I hope we can start with something a little lighter. But we are going to stick with the awkward solo episode format. And did I write a bio for myself? Mm, I think I started. What did I say? Um, I Okay, Erica J. Schmidt, me. I'm a writer and translator. I live in Montreal. I'm also a storyteller. And I'm an emerging podcaster. And I I think that's enough. 
Yeah. So now we're going to switch gears. We're going to, we're going to do an interview. I'm going to interview myself. It's not going to be very long. Well, I can't promise that, but we'll make it a little bit brief. Uh, just a few questions and okay. So Erica, you sometimes describe grade one as your academic peak. Who is the legendary Mrs. Joan Vandenbosch and what happened in her class? Right. So grade one. Um, yeah, we shouldn't. I think we talk too much about peaks in life. You know, I sometimes say that my humanitarian peak was when I was 19 and I went to live and work in a house for people with intellectual disabilities and like I didn't have my apartment I lived there I took care of the people and what a nice thing to do and I'll never be that nice again and that was my peak Uh, and I think yeah we do ourselves a bit of a disservice when we have peaks in our lives it's never too late to peak again but let's I mean my academic peak was a grade one maybe uh so yeah in grade one I was definitely a teacher's pet um I think I got the gene, my sister might have gotten it too, where I felt like that I needed to really be a star. Like I thought I deserved the main part in the plays. And well, I remember in Mrs. Vandenbosch's class, I was not immediately like the like star student. I remember being very disappointed because for the Halloween concert... I didn't get to be the head pumpkin. Um, My best friend Ellen Flanagan did. So there was a song that was like, it was like a call and response situation. And Ellen got to sing the boo hoo hoo. And then we all sang the boo hoo hoo, right? Me and the rest of the class. But I felt very indignant that I wasn't the star pumpkin. But that's okay because I did get a chance to shine. So do you remember when you were, in grade one and you had those exercise books that were like half lined and then you drew a picture on the top so I remember we got those and I was like oh my god we get to write now and I remember being like I didn't know how to spell that many things and I was like I wonder how you spell the and I'm like is it I knew there was a t I knew all the letters I knew there was t-h-e but I wasn't sure what the order was I was like e-h-t-t-e-h so I think I, I think I had, I think maybe I had T-E-H. That was what my guess was. And I went home to, for lunch with my mom and my sister. And I was like, my sister's four years older than me. And I was like, well, how do you spell the? And I got it wrong, but that did not stop me. I filled those composition books. I like wrote the most out of anybody. I was like, dear Mrs. Vandenbosch, I am playing There are tulips. Like, I just was relentless. I kept filling these books. And Mrs. Vandenbosch decided that I was a very special child. I don't know if they do this anymore, but, like, I was six in the 90s. 1990, 1991 was grade one. And there was a lot of emphasis on, like, who is the gifted child? They had tests and... Mrs. Vandenbosch was convinced that I was very gifted. I was exceptional, right? I mean, I was filling these competition books. I think I could almost count to a thousand. I didn't quite understand 100 to, like, I, I think I, I think I crapped out around a thousand. I didn't quite understand how it worked, but I was really close to counting to a thousand. And so it was like, 
wow. I mean, Mrs. Vandenbosch was just like, wow, you, she wrote in my journal once, Erica, every day you surprise me more. I was just like, wow, I have big things coming up for, for Erica Schmidt has like, I was just like, I am so, what's the word? But I just felt sort of infused with potential and promise. And I, yeah, I, I wrote in these composition books. And I don't know if you remember, but I, they call this like call and response journals where like the kid writes one thing and then the teacher responds. And so I, yeah, I'd write to Mrs. Vandenbosch. She'd write back. She'd ask me questions. Uh, so I think I want to read you. I'm going to read you from my call and response journal from February 18th, 1991. Okay, so you can just get a sense of how gifted I really was. Okay. Oh, it's February 19th. So Mrs. Vandenbosch has just asked me about like a bunch of my favorite things. So I am ready to write her back. My favorite program is Rod to Avonlea. My favorite place to sit is where I am sitting now. My favorite food is liverwurst. I licked your later that you wrote to me. What is your favorite program on TV? What is your favorite food? What is your favorite book? And what do you like? What is your favorite color? What is your favorite season? Season, I think. What is your favorite day? What is your favorite ladder in the ifabit? How many windows windows do you like? I know how to tell time on my watch and the kind of watch that has just lins without numbers. And I know how to tell time on the kind of watch that has just a 12 and a 3 and a 6 and a 9. I like to play at school. You are a nice toucher. I love you. I hope you are failing happy touching. Love, Erica. XOXOXO. So, yeah, that was grade one. Um, and, yeah, labeled gifted child. And I have diagnosed myself with gifted child syndrome. So, yeah, after grade one, grade one Mrs. Vandenbosch decided that I needed to get skipped into Mr. Wilson's grade three class. Yeah, so I, kinda, I was like, everybody saw me as the smart kid. And, yeah, I sort of, like, since then have been, like, infused with the burden of trying to live up to my enormous potential. Okay, so here you are, the gifted child, and you're in Mr. Wilson's grade three class with all the cool kids, and you're trying to be, like, really smart, and so here is when you invented your very first 
morning routine. So, so how did that work? Right. So I, I love a good morning routine and I guess I did start my first morning routine in, I think it was 1992. Um, I'm, I'm getting the years mixed up. I don't know which year I was in Mrs. Vandenbosch's class. It was 1991 to 1992. So, you know, in case you're a fan of the 90s. And so I was only six when I went into Mr. Wilson's grade three class. And that it's such a big deal when you're younger, how like every month counts, right? I remember being so upset that like Jillian Tyrrell was going to turn six in grade one, like how many days before me? Like it was like a week, like 10 days before me. And I was like, oh, she's always going to be older than me. And I felt so devastated. And then here I am in grade three, and I am like, my birthday's in October. So a lot of people were already eight and I was only six. And it was just like, you know, we would go around the class exchanging our ages. And I was like, I'm six. So then what are the, what's the cure for life when you're sort of like alienated from your social group? It's a morning routine. So I had a Mickey Mouse watch. So we all remember, I know how to tell time on a watch without the numbers, right? And so I decided that I should wake up when the Mickey Mouse watch was pointed at 6.30. So I would roll out of bed at 6.30, check my watch. Okay, good. If it was 6.40, like... This could be really devastating for me. So heads up, that's the kind of child I was. Am I like this as an adult? Maybe a little bit. So yeah, I had my Mickey Mouse watch and somehow it had occurred to me that I could divide my life into 20 minute intervals before school for maximum productivity. Uh, So the first 20 minute interval was I would walk my dog, Emma, to the mailbox and at the mailbox the mailbox was like a couple of blocks away and I would mail a letter that I had written the day before to my grandma and grandpa so my grandma and grandpa lived in Manitoba and I wrote them a letter a heartfelt letter every single day of my life between 1992 and 1994 okay I have a stack of these to prove it And so then I would go home and then I would make my own oatmeal, rolled oats, slathered in like plain yogurt and heaps of brown sugar. And I would shovel that into my mouth. I was never a slow eater and, you know, don't want to waste time. And then the next set of 20 minutes is I would write the letter for grandma and grandpa that day. So every letter started with, I would write the date and then I would say, dear grandma and grandpa, how are you? I am fine. So real, um, real good opener there. It makes you want to read the whole thing. And so the letters, some of them I wrote by hand with smelly markers and I actually alternated like lines with different colors. We also had like an Apple 2E computer. So I would type them and then we would print it. Do you remember if you lived in the 90s, the kind of printer that was like continuous and you had to rip it apart and then it had those like margins with holes in them that you had to rip off. So it was that kind of paper. So yeah, I would write them a couple pages every day, you know, writing practice. And then, so what would I tell my grandparents? 
Also, how did I decide that I was going to write my grandparents a letter every single day? Well, my father was like, hey, Erica, um, grandma had a stroke. Do you think you could send, you could send a card, make a card or something? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. And so I guess I've never been a very moderate person. So I not only make a card, I like just take a practice of daily epistles, dear grandma and grandpa. So yeah, that's how that started. So I would tell them all of my news as a seven and eight and nine year old. And my news was, well, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> I gave them great details about my, vi- I played the violin. So I was telling them, I would tell them all about the songs I was learning, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, Minuet in G. I would tell them about like how many 20 minute increments of violin I had practiced. My teacher used to like bribe us with with shiny stickers. So like for every 20 minutes you practiced, you got a beautiful shiny sticker. So I would like give them my practicing stats. I would give them all my swim team stats and like how much my times have improved, the ribbons I won, like how many kilometers we swam in the swim practice, how that converted to miles, like really fascinating details for my grandparents. And yeah, my grandparents were very old. Like they just, they were like grandparent, grandparents, you know, like crepey skin, gray hair, just like translucent. They just spent their days in lazy boys. And so, yeah. And I was like, they, they want to know all of this. They want to know all my news. And they didn't mind. They, they kind of liked it. They were like, oh, there's my personal correspondent. I mean, who doesn't like getting a letter every day, right? I also decorated the envelopes with abstract smelly marker designs and rainbows. I put a rainbow on the header of the, le- of the letter. I don't know how I did all this in 20 minutes. I think I did some of it after school. But yeah, so then my next 20 minute increment would usually be two 20 minute increments of violin practice. And so, yes, like I said, I wanted to practice violin in exchange for the beautiful shiny stickers. I loved stickers. Oh, stickers were like gold back then. And yeah, I had like a little sticker book. So yeah, so then I did my violin practice and then I went to school. So that was my morning routine. And luckily, I had built-in exercise at the time. I had a swim team after school. So my neurotic exercise morning routines didn't start until, I'm going to say, I don't know, maybe 1998. So there you go. That's my morning routine from 1992. I love morning routines. I'm definitely going to ask my guests about their morning routines, their creative routines, their cleaning routines, and maybe we'll do a whole episode on routines. I have like pretty extensive routines and thoughts about routines. So yeah, that's um, what I'm going to say about routines. So here's an excerpt from a letter to grandma and grandpa. December 21st, 1994. Dear grandma and grandpa, how are you? I am fine. I can't believe it's almost Christmas. We had a Christmas concert yesterday. I had to be a shepherd. I hated wearing my costume because it was too hot. I wore dad's bathrobe with a towel on my head. 
I have a joke. What goes ha 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 plop? This is a hard one. It is my favorite joke. I got it out of a book. Here is the answer. Somebody laughing their head off. I have to go now. Yours tell the jelly rolls, Erica. Yours tell the jelly rolls, that's cute. So Erica J. Schmidt, uh, while you were perfecting your morning routine between 1992 and 1994, you know, the ages of seven and nine, a great time to optimize every detail of your life, uh, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, so like I said, I kind of have the gene where I just want to like excel at everything. And so I never really did anything that I didn't think that I'd become really good at, which Looking back, I think that's that's very sad. But yeah, I had big dreams of I wanted to be a concert violinist and I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. So nothing too ambitious. No, it was like devastatingly ambitious. At the same time, I did really enjoy violin and swimming. Like I also loved it for the sake of that. But yeah, I, I don't know why I wanted to be such a high achiever. I probably will not have a child, but if I did, I just, I would really encourage the child to pursue the things they love with just no attachment to outcome because really it's very devastating to feel like you have to be excellent at everything. On a lighter note, I also really loved monkeys and gorillas and jungle animals. Like I had jungle animal curtains. I was just obsessed I had, stu- I had a stuffed orangutan, a stuffed gorilla I named Bong. And I wanted to go to Africa also and be kind of like Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall. So those were the things I wanted to do when I grew up. Okay, so one of the elements of the podcast that I am the most excited about is the listener questions. So I have always wanted to be like a kind of advice columnist. And so now I guess I have a podcast. So I am going to go to town like answering listener questions. So feel free to send me your listener questions. You can get them to me on Instagram, erica.j.schmidt or on my website, uh, ericajschmidt.com slash contact. So I can't wait to hear from you and your identity is safe with me. You can like conceal certain facts to like, what do you call it? Conceal identifying details. Or if you're like, Erica, can you just like fictionalize this a little bit more? I can do that. I wrote a novel. And today I have a listener question. Let me just read it to you. Okay. Dear Erica, I'm 41 and have been trying to write my first novel for 20 years. I got my degree in creative writing and when I graduated, everyone thought I would turn into a real big deal, but this hasn't happened. I've floundered my way through soul-sucking jobs to pay the bills, writing here and there, submitting my stories online every once in a while, but not really making any progress in terms of getting published or writing down the big projects in my head. I went through an intense childhood experience that I think would make a great book. I have written the first 80 to 100 pages at least three times, 
and then I get stuck for months or years. I feel like such a failure and like I have nothing to show for my life. How can I finally get this book done? Love, everyone thought I'd be the next Margaret Atwood. Oh my goodness. Dearest, everyone thought I'd be the next Margaret Atwood. This is this is a painful situation. Okay, I'm glad you asked me though because I have spent a disproportionate amount of my life reading books and listening to podcasts about creativity, tracking down author interviews to try to like squeeze out the magic. I'm like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Please help. So on part two of my episode with Paul de Touré, we really get into the nitty gritty of like options for creative practices, creative routines, like how to write no matter what. And there's so much information out there. There's so many options. And I'll talk a little bit about that now. But first, I want to get into the existential piece of all this and the existential grief. Like this for me, this takes me right back to grade one in Mrs. Vandenbosch's class. And the the real burden of being labeled as spectacular and like extra special and you are destined for greatness. Oh my gosh, can't wait for your book. Can't tell you how many times people have said that to me. And yeah, so there was grade one, but like all my life, it's just been like these immense expectations. And maybe you can relate to this. Um, in grade seven, my teacher, Madame Baker, like at the end of something that I had written in French, like I don't see how this could have been all that brilliant, but like Madame Baker was wowed to the max. And she wrote, oh, Erica, like congratulations. Congratulations. You did your homework. You have a career that's waiting for you. She wrote it in French. Tu as une carrière qui t'attend. You have a career that is waiting for you. So remember, I skipped grade two. So in grade seven, I am 11 years old. And I'm like, oh, somewhere out there, there's a writing career for me. Um, And so I'm still waiting for that writing career. And I know my teachers meant well. And I'm sure the people who told you that you were going to be Margaret Atwood also meant well. But it's just like the problem with setting up these massive expectations is that like it robs you of permission to just like have a nice time with your writing or whatever you're doing, you know, just to like do things for their own sake and not because you want to like go play at Carnegie Hall or just like transform your life into a spectacular TED talk. And it also it also takes away the permission to not be that good at shit, you know? Like, it's like just sort of a given that you're going to be good at everything. And like, that's maybe okay when you're six, right? Like, you draw a tulip with a crayon and you're six. Everyone's like, that's lovely and you can kind of pull it off. But as you get older, that gets more and more stressful. And if you're going to be a writer and you try to make every word and every sentence the most spectacular sentence that anyone's ever written, you are just going to be paralyzed and oppressed and disappointed. And it will take you much longer than 20 years to write your novel or to write anything. Like, you're just not going to write. So Anne Lamott says that perfectionism is the oppressor. And I agree. And I just think no to oppression. Do not let yourself be oppressed 
by your writing. I'm not going to say this is supposed to be fun because I know that writing is not always fun at all. But I will tell you that my entire creative life is this question. What can I do to take the pressure off? Like all my life has been trying to take the pressure off because the pressure just doesn't work and it's not sustainable. So yes, take the pressure off. And I I just like, I do everything I can to set myself up so that at the end of the day, I can say, Erica, you did so good. You did so good. What a good day of writing and creativity you just had today. I'm so proud of you. So that can mean that you can just say, you know what, fuck writing right now. I am on a break. And the break can be one month, three months, You can just give yourself permission not to write instead of waking up every morning and being like, oh my God, I have to do my 500 words and it's just, you're not feeling it and you can't. And maybe you have like some personal issues you have to attend to. It's just not a good time to write. Then don't write, take a break and just acknowledge that you need rest. You need to focus on other things. And something you can do when you're on a break from writing, if you don't have like an overwhelming life is that you can read. Reading is very important. So that can be your creative practice is reading. Um, Something else you could do, everyone thought I should have been Margaret Atwood by now, something like this. Um, What you can do is you could read your old drafts, but I don't know, a complete break, like maybe a month where you're just allowed to do other things can be healing and productive. Taking the pressure off can also look like just getting up in the morning. It doesn't have to be the morning. I'm a morning person, but many people are not. And doing just like a 20-minute free write or 10 minutes. I think even five, but like let's say 10. Um, And it can be on some topic related to your book or just like any topic of the day. And so you're like, hey, I'm just like stimulating my unconscious mind, my creative mind. I'm going to do a little free write and nobody needs to read it. I don't even need to read it, but I'm just going to like get my pen or get on my laptop and here I go. And you could also, sometimes I do this, I write letters. So I, yeah, I love to write letters. Some of my best writing is letters. I wrote a book and most of it is letters to my 11th therapist, which I'll tell you about another time. But Uh, One of my favorite creative writing practices is I write a stream of consciousness email. Um, I no longer write letters to my 11th therapist, but I often write emails just to various friends. One of my favorite friends to write emails to is my pal, Kyle. He's my, like, he teaches an online fitness class, so I call him my coach, Coach Kyle. Um, Kyle's probably listening to this, so I love to write Kyle massive emails, right? I usually do a spell check before, but I know that he appreciates them. I mean, yeah, maybe don't try not to overwhelm. Like you, maybe you can write an email that you don't send. But yeah, I think I find that writing letters is really good for your voice. Uh, So like even that's the thing, even if you're not making progress on your book, like showing up to write something will make you a better writer and it will improve your voice. And often the difference between a good book and a great book is the voice. Um, So you can cultivate your voice just by writing anything. Anything counts, okay? But now I want to get into your book. So the way I see it is you have two choices. So you can just sort of, I don't want you to be puritanical and like rigid about this, but you can just be like, fuck it. I need to get this book done. I'm so tired of it hanging over me. 
I am going to show up every day. I'm going to write for an hour a day. I'm going to finish. Like, you can have a certain word count. Like, don't be too crazy about it. Like, I don't know. Stephen King thinks we should all write a thousand words a day. And be flexible, okay? So maybe say, like, be as low as 200. 200 to a thousand words a day, one hour a day. And show up and say, and I don't know, three months is a little fast. It may be six months. I'm going to get my first draft done in six months, okay? And make that your focus, make that your priority. Like, it's like an athletic endeavor. Okay, this is one option, all right? But what I'm wondering is, are you just attached to, okay, this happened in my childhood. It sucks. There's really only way, there's only one way to make it worthwhile and that is to use it to write a book and it's going to like touch people and heal people and it'll be so epic and what I'm wondering is are you to attach this book is this really the book you want to be writing do you want to be writing a book do you just want to write like an essay about this what happened to you as a kid you just like 2,000 words and then it's over you know publish it on your blog or something like Do you really want to write a whole book about this situation? Is this situation the whole book or is there just little tidbits that maybe you could weave into a a story that you're more interested in? Like, what do you want to be writing and is it this? And sometimes I hear of authors who, you know, spent, you know, three, four years, maybe only one year, but maybe a long time, maybe 20 years, you know, they spent this time toiling toiling over this like opus that they thought was going to be their big thing and then realizing like no this isn't going to work out like I I can't I can't finish this I can't publish this nobody is going to read this I'm done I'm done with this book so I want to give you a couple examples from uh, my reading so so there's a great book I love this book Sarah Thankham Matthews she put out a book I think it was well I can't remember the year I think it was 2021 maybe anyways doesn't really matter but she wrote a wonderful book called all this could be different it was a beautiful debut great success nominated for awards and so what happened with this she describes that she was writing a doorstopper of a book it was going to be like a great American novel it dealt with race immigration like all these big issues that she had you know childhood experiences from although she's definitely a fiction writer and yeah I think it was like four years and she was just like oh no no this isn't gonna work so she she let it go and then it was like the pandemic and she got laid off and she was just like okay I gotta write a book and this book just sort of came to her in a fever dream and she wrote like she wrote just like for four to five months straight it's a delightful novel about a queer brown girl who gets her first job I think it's Milwaukee or like a midwestern city my U.S. geography is terrible but I appreciate that not all books need to be set in New York Uh, and it's just sort of like the survival mode of being in your 20s postgraduate school, making friends, making lovers. It wasn't just a love story. Like it was really centered on friendship, which I really appreciated. And just like you can tell from the voice how alive it is. And sometimes when you're like clinging to something, when you're really attached to an idea or a project, sometimes it can get really stiff. And so like 
I really want you, my sweet, everyone thought I should be Margaret Atwood right now. I really want you to get the experience of finishing something, but I'm wondering if this epic tomb is not is not the project that you need to finish. So I just want to give you that. And then another book that stemmed from a great creative failure was Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. So a similar situation, she like was doggedly trying to type out this, I think she had a book deal and she was just trying to get her pages in and write this book that she had great dreams from. And it just, it just didn't work. And she was just like, I'm never... I'm never going to be able to write the novel I want to write. And then I think what she said was, I think she like took the pressure off being literary and she's just like, okay, Meg, just write what happened. And then like this voice of this very hilarious protagonist who, let me see, do I remember this person's name? Martha. Um, Martha, this like, just like self-deprecating, very funny British woman came to her and it is... Oh, I loved, I loved that book, Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. And so it came out of this other failed project. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Okay, so we're almost done. Okay, so two books that I would recommend that you read that may also help you take the pressure off is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And of course, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. But it just sort of like breaks down different creative obstacles and ideas. And they're just both very loving and generous people so I think that I think that just having a little encouragement will help okay so I I think I know I said I was almost done but I think I have two more things to say and one of them is so I I am not published or famous I'm not saying I don't want to be I wouldn't mind um publishing a book selling you know more than two copies I'd love that uh but I am a serious and devoted writer and I want to tell you that the best part of writing is writing in whatever capacity that is. And that's because writing allows you to have a rich and deep inner life. And it just, it adds a whole other dimension to your existence. It can be a slog and daunting and terrifying and also terrible, but it is immensely satisfying. Like there's maybe nothing that is as satisfying And I want you to experience that. And whether or not you get published, whether or not you finish this epic novel that you've been trying to write for 20 years, I want you to have the joy of writing free of the pressure to become the next Margaret Atwood. Like, there's really only one Margaret Atwood. And, you know, good for her. She's she's a riot. But I guess, like, comparing yourself to others, this is, for me, one of my great challenges in life. I'm a little sister. So, yeah, compare and despair, as they say. Try not to compare. And for the final thing I want to say is I, oh, now I'm, like, a little emotional, but that's okay. Um, I once had a therapist named Paula. I don't know which therapist she was. Maybe she was, like, my seventh therapist, maybe my fifth. Who knows? And I was like 24. No, I was like younger than that. I think I was like 20, 22 (laughs) and mourning my creative failures at age 22. I think that maybe we mourn our creative failures our entire lives. And Paula sent me, she had a green couch. Her office was in Westmount. It's like a kind of a rich neighborhood in Montreal, but therapy was subsidized. Uh, And she, she said to me, you have this gift writing, writing is your gift. And, 
Oh my goodness. It's fine. Okay. And she said, Erica, you have this gift. Writing is your gift and nobody can take that away from you. Oh my goodness. And nobody can take that away from you. And it doesn't come with the obligation to accomplish anything. It is for you to use for your own joy. So I just want you to remember that, that there is no obligation to use your writing to make the world a better place. It is, it is just your special treasure and it is for you. And I hope that you can find a way to use it for your own joy. Thank you so much for writing. And I, I, I mean, people say this, I love you. I love you. I think once you have a podcast, you get to love everyone. That's great. Okay. Thanks. Okay. We're ready. I think we're ready for the song now. Okay. Love you. Okay. So I think we're going to wrap up now. And the last thing I want to do is I did not grow up to be a concert violinist. And I'm really, I have almost, I have zero sadness about that. I'm sure I would have gotten like tendonitis and I think that would not have been a good career for me. Um, I also gave myself the gift of, I never wanted to become a rock star when I grew up. So grateful because I think that it's hard to want to be a rock star. Um, Not that many people get to be rock stars, but I learned the ukulele over the pandemic. And so I thought it would be fun to have songs at the end. We're only going to play little bits of the songs to respect the musicians' rights. So we're going to have like tiny karaoke segments at the end of each episode. Um, And so what I recommend for these, because I am not a rock star, for your optimal uh, listening experience, I would recommend you Google the songs and then sing along. Because if you don't sing along, it'll be a different experience. I think the sing along will make it a lot more fun. So I want to sing one of my favorite songs. It's called... Oh, I, I feel teary. It's okay. It's called In what is it? In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. I heard this song and I was like, what is this song? This is the song of my life. I just, oh, I just find it so beautiful. Uh, so thank you, Neutral Milk Hotel. So we are just going to sing the first verse, the bridge, oh, how I remember you. And then we're going to wrap up with the last verse and if you mess up that's really fine because I'm sure that I might also mess up too um but this is your strange and beautiful life it doesn't have to be perfect okay um so you ready okay what a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun What a beautiful dream that could crash on the screen in a blink of an eye and be gone from me. Soft and sweet, let me hold it close and keep it here with me. so 
smooth and sweet, but now we keep where we don't go. All secrets sleep in winter clothes with one you love so long ago. Now we don't even know his name. What a beautiful face I have found in this place that is circling all around the sun. When we meet on a cloud, I'll be laughing out loud. I'll be laughing with everyone I see. Can't believe how strange it is to be anything at all. That's it. Can't believe how strange it is to be anything at all. So we did it. This is your Strange and Beautiful Life. We did the first solo episode after one try. Okay. Um, thank you so much for listening. Just uh, give me a minute. We're going to see you. I'm going to just give me a minute. Okay. Love you. Bye. So there we go. We did it. The first solo episode, the first episode of This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. Thank you so much for listening. So I'm going to try to drop my first couple of interviews this week so you can you can binge listen. <laughs> but you take as long as you want. Just having you listen means everything to me. And yes, so thank you so much for your support. This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life is an independent podcast, uh, so we don't have any sponsors yet. Actually, that's not true. Um, this Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life is sponsored by dog cards. So I made some merch. I made greeting cards featuring photos of my favorite dogs, two charming and adorable cockapoos called Lil and Bud. So you can procure your dog cards at ericajschmidt.com slash merch. They're $6 plus light shipping, free pickup or delivery in Montreal. And, um, and I wanted to do a promo code, but I think I couldn't figure it out. Anyways, uh, that's a way to support this show. If you would like to sponsor the show, if you have some kind of product or service or event or book, we offer very affordable advertising here at This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life, and I would love to flag your work. So please get in touch, ericajschmidt.com slash contact. Find me on the interwebs. Oh, yes, and if you enjoyed this podcast, and I think I forgot to say it on future episodes, but if you enjoy this project and the podcast interviews, uh, please share it with your friends and uh, you could also share it on the interwebs. I don't know if I'm going to be able to figure out how to make thumbnail images without getting my head cut off, but that's okay. Like an image, like a share with my head cut off is better than no share at all. You could just email it to your friends too. You know, we are in the early days of this project, so every single person you share it with makes a difference. I am thrilled that you are listening. I'm thrilled for each and every audience member. Uh, I don't want to gush too much, but I can't help it. Thank you to my darling big sister, Tess Levitt, for helping me refine the inspiration for this podcast. Thank you to Sherwin Tija, who is my creative and technical advisor and most cherished friend. You can find Sherwin on 
Facebook at Joe Catman. Sherwin runs life-changing events like the Strip Spelling Bee and Slow Dance. If you don't know what that is, check out Sherwin's Quirky Events on Facebook. They are really one of the best things about living in Montreal. Finally, I want to say thank you to my dearly departed aunt Eileen Gunn, whose surprise and generous gift allowed me to freely purchase the podcast equipment I needed. So thank you, Eileen. May you rest in peace wherever you are. So that's all for today. Uh, Thanks again for listening. And now we're going to sing the theme song again. So once again, for the full appreciation for this podcast, I really recommend that you sing along to all the songs. Okay, so you ready? This is your strange and beautiful life. Okay, thanks everybody. Have a wonderful day or at least a reasonable day. Do your best, love yourself, and love you. Goodbye.